0: We're 148 one forty-eight. We're hearing very strange sounds out of the farmer's barnyard. Animals. They're looking very, very active, making an awful lot of noise. Yes. an pigmentation. You just saw a light oh, yeah, where, there. Yes. Where, like where, where, where? Right at this position here. Straight ahead. In between the tree. There it is again. Watch. Straight ahead off my flash, like this. Yeah, so, right there. so there it is. Hey, oh, yeah, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So yeah, can I get somewhere? Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. It looks to be at maybe a quarter to a half mile, maybe further out. I'm going to switch off. The light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from the site. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, that's flashlight, sir. Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so we can get a better look at it. See if we can get the star scope on it. The light's still there, and all the barnyard animals have gotten quiet now. Yeah, we're heading about 110 to 120 degrees from the site out through to the clearing now. Still getting a reading on the meter. About two clicks. Jumped three to four clicks, getting stronger. About four feet off the ground, about 110 degrees, getting a reading of about four clicks. Yes, sir. Now yeah, it's dying. Now it's dying. I think it's something other than the ground. I think it's something that's something it's variable here. A tree right we just went the first night bird we've seen. We're about 150 to 200 yards from the site. Everything else is just deathly calm. There is no doubt about it. There's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. It's yellow. I saw a yellow tinge in it, too. Weird. It appears to be maybe moving a little bit this way. It's, it's brighter than it has been. Yellow. It's coming this way. It is definitely coming this way. Pieces be of it are shooting off.
1: There is no doubt about it. This is weird. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. I am Jeremy. I am your host. Tonight, we're going to finish up our report on the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. Jake, Jeff are joining me today. How are you guys doing?
2: Doing pretty good, bud. How are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. I'm doing pretty good, too. Man, you, you'd think, I don't know, this, this last episode that we did, listening to your uh, report on it, Man, if they wanted to make a uh like a a fake incident. I think that adding these crazy, difficult to pronounce names is part of the process. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm I'm hearing you read them out. I'm like, man, I'd be stuttering like you wouldn't believe. I practiced them. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I did. Yeah, it sucks. I know I fucked up a couple times,
1: but yeah, whatever. So today we don't have Dave, but we're going to send a copy of the recording over to him and get his reaction to it and plaster it on the back of the episode for you. So you can hear his reaction to the conclusion of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. Before we get started, I just want to remind everybody, please take a second to rate and review our show and check out our website, InfiniteRabbithole.com. Check out all the pages we have there. Check out the little bios on the, uh, the people who put their hard work into the show at the bottom of the homepage. And if you're feeling frisky, go ahead and check out our merch shop. Tab's right at the top there. Get yourself a t-shirt, sticker, represent the infinite rabbit hole, and at the same time, support the show. hmm But do we have anything that we need to put out before we jump right in, or are we just going to go?
0: Uh, um
3: I don't just just let's let's ride let's ride
1: regulators yep let's do it regulators <laughs> all right so good thing uh for anybody that was like oh man that last episode was just too story driven this one's definitely got some more uh reading in it <laughs> um but not as much and you'll be able to hear the reaction at the end where we banter and we talk shit about each other's opinions and, and all that good stuff that everyone's actually here for. So, let's get into the cover-up. Once the post-event investigations officially started, Lieutenant Colonel Halt was left out of all parts of the new investigation team. His only part in it now was as a witness. At the beginning of a very secretive investigation, A large aircraft flew in, and an unknown large number of people descended onto both bases. It is unclear as to how many people arrived, and who they were exactly, but it is theorized that Commander-in-Chief U.S. Air Force's Europe and four-star General Charles Gabriel was among them. It is the thought of many that the events that took place in Rendlesham Forest were so important that the only person that could be responsible for the proper investigation was a four-star general. The OSI, also known as the Office of Special Investigations, called many witnesses, including all involved during the events, into a secret interviewing room underground of the base. But strange enough, only five records are available to the public. Those records come from interviews with these individuals in order of highest rank to lowest, Lieutenant Fred Buran, Master Sergeant J. D. Chandler, Staff Sergeant Jim Pennison, Airman First Class, John Burroughs, and Airman Ed Cabinsack. I am not going to read each one of these as most of the statements say very similar things, instead I have highlighted any information in the individual reports that I thought were unique or important. From Lt. Fred Baran's point of view, when he was being updated via radio relay, he said that Staff Sergeant Penniston claimed to have approached the clearly mechanical craft, quoted, and instantly passed it and was staring at the beacon in the far distance, which is thought to be the Orford Nest Lighthouse. The reason why I include this is because I feel like this may be another piece of evidence That there was a time dilation at some point, as claimed by many people in many different scenarios of the events. So in the last episode, when they were taking readings with the Geiger counter, they noticed that there was high levels of radiation at the points where the tripod from the craft were landing on the ground and then in the center. And then I had made a little note and I said, we'll come back to this. And that it looked like And some people actually claimed that it looked like there was a walkway, like some person or animal or being walked around the area a lot of different places. And there was little radiation points all around. It looked like footfalls. So I just wanted to bring that back up before we get into this next little bullet here, because this is where it comes back in master sergeant chandler's interview he mentioned that staff sergeant Pennison informed the relay that the only sound he could hear was the sound of multiple things running around him he claimed it sounded like small animals i include this because most accounts of this particular scene claim that it was completely quiet and here we have a first-hand account claiming that staff sergeant Pennison heard running footfalls all around him now Those words don't actually come out of Staff Sergeant Pennison's mouth, nor is it in his statement, nor have I been able to find anything about that coming from him. But as we will learn soon, there's actually two people that claim this, and one of them is Master Sergeant Chandler. All right, moving on. Staff Sergeant Pennison didn't have anything new in his statement, as his story is basically what we outline on this show. So anything he had to say is basically what we're putting out to you. But after the interview, Staff Sergeant Pennison claimed they took all of his sketches and notes and that the interrogation techniques were very strange and very long. He even said that they went as far as to give him, quote unquote, truth serum to gain the information that they thought he was hiding. Lieutenant Colonel Hall would later elaborate in Leslie Keene's book, UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record, claiming that the quote-unquote truth serum they were said to have been ready to use on the witnesses was sodium pentothal. He went on to say that they told him that the light was the Orford Nest Lighthouse and that he was not to divulge any info to anyone. Airman First Class Burroughs would also make note of the sounds coming from around the area of the craft. I include this because it lends evidence to what Master Sergeant Chandler said about what sounded like small animals running around close to the area. Now, there's a second one. So, not only did Master Sergeant Chandler put this in his official briefing or his report, but so did John Burroughs, who was One of the big players in this event, one of the big names. Mm -hmm. He was right there, right next to Jim Pennison. Now, questions that come to my head, which I'm assuming is coming to other people's heads, how come Pennison didn't hear this? Well, there's that time dilation, right? So, everything from Jim Pennison's point of view was quicker. So, that sound of footfalls, which is I'm going to make the the noise right Mm -hmm. running around may not sound like anything because it happened so quick in his point of view. It was like instant in his Mm -hmm. point of view. Mm -hmm. So that's my theory. Now this is, I didn't get that from any book, but my theory is, is that the two people that were immediately right there, say they heard it and the one person that was next to the aircraft succumbing to the time dilation that is theorized to be part of the story didn't hear it there is an explanation for it and even if that was reversed even if he looked out of the time dilation and everything slowed that thumping right Mm -hmm. would sound like do. And actually, he may not have registered as as a noise at all, because it would have lasted for, for too long. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't really matter from his point of view, what he's seeing, he made out of registered noise, period, because you don't know necessarily how much time dilation affects noise. That's my theories on the whole thing. Because that was one of the first questions that popped in my head to battle this whole thing. Was that right there? But then it made sense to me when I put myself in his position. And then we get to Airman Cabinsag. Claims that the written statement that is available under his name is rewritten. Claim that they rewrote it for him and forced him to sign it. In this quote-unquote statement, he claims that the lights were eventually found to be nothing but the Orford Nest Lighthouse and the fully lighted farmhouse just outside the forest. Now, although there is no official documentation, Sergeant Bustinza also went through a very rough interrogation and kept quiet about the entire subject until years later. When he finally came forward with the story, he said that the OSI attempted over and over again to get him to change his story. They also wanted him to say that it was the Orford Nest Lighthouse and not a UFO. He was even told that he better change his story because bullets are cheap. After hearing that, he conceded and said he thought it was the Lighthouse. Hmm. After Airman First Class Burroughs returned to his post at the East Gate, he claimed that the number of helicopters, low-flying planes, military personnel, and vehicles increased immensely. There was no official information or statement about the events released by the U.S. Air Force. In fact, when the commanding officer of the two bases— Wing Commander Colonel Gordon Williams was briefed by Lieutenant Colonel Holt. His reply was to bring Holt's story to the commander of all of the U.S. Air Force bases in England, 3rd Air Force Commander, General Robert W. Baisley. He did so by presenting Baisley with the audio recording taken by Holt during the events, and Baisley's response to this was If it happened outside the wire, meaning off of base, then it's a Brits affair. So according to General Baisley, the jurisdiction of the event would fall on the British Ministry of Defense. RAF Commander Squadron Leader Donald Moreland, the British Liaison Officer for both RAF Wood, Woodbridge and Bentwaters, went on to request an official report written by Lt. Col. Holt On January thirteenth, 1981, Moreland sent Holt's memorandum off to DS-8, also known as Secretariat 8, a division of the Ministry of Defense, and they found that there was no threat to British national security and made no additional comments. This memorandum would become one of the most important pieces of evidence that is available to the public in regards to UFO activity in the world to date. This would become known as the Halt Memo. I'm at a
2: break here, boys. What do you got? So, this... uh. Man, who was it? I can't pronounce his name. The uh, the guy who had his, oh, uh, cab- Cabin Sag, Airman yeah. Cabin Sag, he claims that he was pretty much given a gag order and told that will kill you if you say anything. But as we can see from actually recent events, there was someone that was a lot higher up than an airman that was given a gag order and he defied that and he went straight to military prison so i don't believe that someone threatened to kill him and just left him alone to have a different statement and stuff i i believe that if there was actually a, a issue where they wanted absolute secrecy that they would have just had him sign a statement and then just made him disappear <laughs> you know if <laughs> if he was uh, a loose end that had a different story than what a narrative that they were pushing was.
1: You know. So le- let's talk about Cabin a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't add this to my report here, but at the time of the incident of the Rendlesham Forest UFO events, he was about a month and a half removed from boot camp. Mm-hmm. So he's a baby baby. Yeah. Um, and imagine being. That new. Or just look at all the new airmen that we get, right? Sure, yeah. And now they've seen the UFO and all this shit, and then all of a sudden an, an organization such as the OSI show up and they're like, hey, bro, this is what you're gonna say. And you're like, uh, I don't know. No, that's not what I saw. And they're like, Hell yeah. Guess what, dude? This is what you're gonna say. <laughs> I mean, to me, this sounds like they see an airman, you know, young kid, and they're like, bro, this is what you're saying. And he may have said no. And then they were like, yeah, well, bullets are cheap, dude. And then he's
2: like, OK, hands up. Got you, man. I'm going to shut up. No, this light. I don't know, man. That's yeah, no. it Maybe maybe someone higher up, maybe someone with like a without a need to know. That had a you know a lot to lose and all that sort of stuff, but someone that's brand new, shoot. When I was going through boot camp, they had a a guy in the division just just ahead of us that had a massive just widowmaker heart attack in the middle of the night died. Oh geez, and um, you know, and it was just it was just something that happened. It was just sudden and it happened. I mean, I don't think that if 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 he had seen some crap that they really wanted to get covered up, that they would just give him a threat and then leave him about his, you know, leave him about his stuff to then drop it later on and be like, yeah. And then they threatened to kill me, you know, it just (laughs) like, I think that they would have just made him disappear. So I don't know. I'm not buying that. I, now I'm not saying that nothing happened. He didn't see anything, but I think that he's embezzling in that, or he's uh, not embezzling. He's, uh, uh, you know, add some fluff to the story to make it more dramatic on his side.
1: I feel like there's a little bit of fluff added to the story from multiple aspects. Same, I, I don't. Uh, I think this happened, right? But I do think that there's some fluff in it, and we'll get into it a little bit more at the end. Jeff, what do you got, man?
3: So going back to, I uh, can't think of everybody's names. I'm losing track of who's who at this point, honestly. But oh, I know there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. names, dude. My bad. No, it's cool. And I'm not no, not my. Bad. I'm not write the story, but I'm not pulling a Jake. I'm not like reading the notes along with you, so I'm not. <laughs> you know, but you know, look, so we've already got an instance where the higher ups are trying to convince these guys to change their stories. We've also got what it sounds like a consensus here, including myself, that seems like some of these guys may be making some of it up, right? It might be exaggerating
2: mm-hmm. a bit. Okay. There it is, yeah.
3: Then we also talk about the uh, interrogation process. Now, I don't know how much or how in-depth the uh, descriptions of the interrogation process goes. You know, I don't know if they break down everything that happened during interrogations. But there are things, like Jake was saying earlier, with implanted memories, things like that. So it could be a mix of all three of those things happening, plus the disinformation from the government's. Um, but I am still going to stick with my original theory, which I will not disclose yet. And nothing has really changed that for me, honestly, including the fact that one of the dudes wasn't hearing the, uh, the animals, right. Running around. Um, I, mm-hmm. I've also got something for that, that. fits right into my theory as well. So.
1: Okay, cool, man. Ooh.
3: I'm
2: excited for the end of this. Got something else. What so got? what if all of this stuff is just they're allowing them to believe this? What if, I don't know, maybe they did threaten them and they say, yeah, bullets are cheap, you know, all that sort of stuff because they're building a narrative around a UFO when, you know, yeah, that story in itself is, is, you know, it's, it's, it's hot and it's awesome and there's a lot of craziness and it's so easy to just be like, yeah, we have no idea what that was when in reality there's, you know. A project or a uh, an aircraft that's being that's in development that could like decimate a country or something like that, and they're just like, yeah, we're never gonna let people know about this, but they can believe in this UFO nonsense all day long.
3: (laughs) That's kind of where I'm leaning Hmm. at this point. I think that, um, I think that the intelligence agencies or whoever at the top, right, is would rather these dudes be ranting off about an alien spacecraft because they know that they'll be widely discredited by the public um, because they're hiding something that they know about. That's all I'll say say for now. Mm
1: -hmm. Hmm. All right. You guys ready to move
3: on? Yep. I'm
1: ready. All right, so let's get into the news. The rumblings around the Rendlesham UFO incident quieted down quickly. And for quite a while, too. Then, on October 2nd, 1983, the Rendlesham UFO incident was plastered all over the cover of the British tabloid titled, The News of the World. According to George Dudding's book, The Rendlesham Forest UFO, a man going by the name of Art Wallace leaked the story. It was later found that his name was really Larry Warren and he was a security police officer for the US Air Force and was stationed at RAF Bentwaters Woodbridge as an airman first class during the events he even claimed that he was a part of the team on the second night and that he personally witnessed alien beings nobody that was officially documented as being there that night admits to him being a part of the investigation team in fact they denied him ever being there later on it was found that Warren was paid £12,000 for the story. Soon after, a group known as CAUSE, an acronym standing for Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, submitted a Freedom of Information Act request to the U.S. Air Force for information regarding that night. In June of 1983, they received a copy of Lieutenant Colonel Holt's memo that was once written to the Ministry of Defense as the only piece of evidence given up from that FOIA request. Military personnel were not the only ones to see the UFOs during the events. Many civilians living or driving through the area also witnessed events, and here are a few examples I found of civilian encounters that happened during the same time frame. A man by the name of Gary Collins was driving on a road through Rendlesham Forest When he noticed a black triangular craft with lights of various colors and what seemed to be a liquid falling off of it, flying very quickly and taking off from the area very quickly once it got close to him. The next day, the road was blocked off by U.S. military personnel. When he approached the barrier, a man told him that there was a plane crash in the forest and the roads going through the area were closed to anybody but local traffic. Gary Harris was another man who lived in Rendlesham Forest, and told of his experience seeing lights in and above the forest on the very early hours of the 26th. Forty-five minutes after he witnessed the lights, the forest was teeming with military personnel. Several days later, Gary came across a forestry agent who explained that they were removing a number of trees due to radiation. Last but not least, Wayne Burgess was 12 years old on December 26th in Ipswich, roughly 12 miles from RAF Woodbridge. He and his family witnessed strange moving lights in the sky that night. Now, let's get into an alternate story. Larry Warren, the guy who was the airman first class who leaked the story to the tabloids, tells a different story about what happened during the night of the second event. Airman First Class Warren claims that he was guarding the East Gate that night when a military truck pulled up with four men, two of which being Lieutenant England and Sergeant Bastinza. Lieutenant England told Warren to hop in and come with. They drove to the area of the base to gather more portable floodlights to replace the ones that were not working properly. They then drove back to the East Gate with the new floodlights and headed south after leaving the base they began to follow another truck until they arrived at a large field where they met up with squadron commander Major Malcolm Zickler. All of the men walked through a narrow section of the forest and into the field. In the field, Warren describes seeing a farmer's house at the far side of the field, helicopters flying around, and a lot of military personnel. He then claims that with the video cameras recording the entire thing, him and Sergeant Bustinza walked into the area where a craft of some sort was expelling a hazy mist and glowing when suddenly a ball of red light came down from the sky and exploded into many pieces when everything settled down there was a large ufo in the shape of a pyramid hovering over the ground things took a stranger turn when three humanoid figures emerged from the craft and were greeted by wing commander colonel gordon williams there was no physical or verbal communication between colonel williams and the humanoids, but Warren got the feeling through their mannerisms that they were communicating to each other somehow. After this, Warren claims that himself and many others were told to vacate the field and return to their post, which he did. But when he got back to his post at the East Gate, it was zero four thirty. He claimed that he left his post at twenty three fifteen which is eleven fifteen p m for non-military folk, and was only gone an absolute max of a couple hours. The so times didn't line up, and he feared that he lost time or time was distorted somehow around the field where the craft landed. The next day, he and many others were told to sign papers given to them by OSI and the U.S. Navy Office of Intelligence, claiming that all they saw the previous night were lights in the forest. Reactions, gentlemen.
3: Go ahead, Jake.
2: Well, I just found a really interesting uh conspiracy angle on this thing. <laughs> you want to put it out now or wait till the end? Oh, I want to wait till the end. And I want to put it out before Jeff does cuz I'm pretty sure we're on the same <sighs> thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm in the same spot that I was before that part. Okay. Jeff?
3: Yeah, same, man. Honestly, I you know, this i like this story this is a good story and actually the more the more that you've gone into this i do recall actually seeing i think i saw like a show on this one time uh i don't know if it was on like history channel or...
2: they have they have one on history channel for
1: sure that's probably right oh yeah oh yeah. uh, dude everybody covers this this is known like the
2: nickname of this incident is england's roswell the most important uk ufo sighting and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. oh dude it's it's huge.
1: And bes- besides Roswell, it's the biggest UFO event to ever happen that we know of. And in fact, it's better documented than Roswell.
2: I mean, like in the Rendlesham forest right now, they have a thing called UFO trail where they have yes. like signs and posters and all kinds of stuff. And then a an artist and I think and his wife made like a to scale representation of the UFO with symbols on the side and all kinds of stuff like that's super cool. Yeah, it is. We should go. (laughs) I mean, we keep doing these t-shirt sales and we will shoot that first, (laughs) that very first shirt sale that we had, which I think was one of us, but still the very first one was a hundred percent more effective than our, than our Patreon ever was.
0: (laughs) You know, (laughs) like,
2: Uh. And they're good shirts. And they're good shirts. (laughs) They're good. Anyway, I I like this episode and it's given me a lot to think about. And I think I just I think I just found a really good conspiracy angle on this thing. Still still leading in with the we have a different narrative to cover something else up, but it has to do with the area and when the base was created and all kinds of stuff. Like I think this is gonna be pretty good, at least for a good talking point. Something we can kind of mull over and, and discuss.
1: Hopefully I don't say what you guys are thinking or at least Jake, I think you're on to something different than Jeff, but I think I know what you're on to too. And I think I might actually touch on it. So you might have a, a, a spot to really talk here coming okay. up soon. Cool. Jeff. Good to go, man. You got something. No, what do you
3: got? I'm ready. I'm ready to go, man. Let's do it.
1: All right. Let's talk about these strange numbers. They're strange. Well, that's beside the point. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is a little woo woo. And a lot of people are going to see this as fluff, right? That was added to the story. Because maybe. it is. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it is. But at the same time,
2: think about if it's not. I don't know how the artists in, like, for the UFO trailer or whatever, how they made their uh, sculpture, like, what references they went off of considering all the sketches and all that stuff was confiscated. Maybe mm-hmm. they talked to the the guy that saw it or whatever. but. the way that they're placed on the side of the structure that they built, the representation, it looks like aircraft side numbers. Like the BUNO numbers for an aircraft, except it's represented in these symbols and stuff. And I'm just like, that was the most striking thing that was pointed out to me. So if it is, if the symbols have any basis to them, I think that they're like, this is the serial number of this craft. Well, we're going to start talking about these numbers right now. Talk about it. And the symbols.
1: Tell me about those symbols. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So in 2010, Staff Sergeant Pennison came forward with additional information from the first night of the event. Right there. I hear, I hear the whole world just being like, right? Mel's hole. (laughs) Now you get more stuff.
3: Took you long enough, bro. Yeah.
1: This is when I joined the Navy, by the way. So in 2010, Staff Sergeant Pennison came forward with additional information from the first night of the event. He told of how he touched the craft with his bare hand at a location where there were hieroglyphic like figures etched into the surface material he took out his notepad and began drawing sketches of the symbols as he made contact with the largest symbol a large triangle with a circle near the top and another one down by the lower right corner a strange set of numbers were pictured in his head he stayed fixated to the images of numbers engulfing his vision for what he recalls as a few minutes. The next 24 hours were difficult for him. He had trouble sleeping and was very tired the entire next day due to the experience he had the night prior. The night after his failure to sleep, he was thumbing through his notebook he used to draw the hieroglyphs that he saw on the skin of the craft when he suddenly felt like he was at the craft again and the numbers were running through his mind. He began to write the numbers down on his pad and after he was done, the numbers were gone. This time for good. So this is that second instance where I said somebody wrote something down and instantly forgot it. So the first time it happened to Burroughs, this time it happened to Pennison. On September tenth, 1994, Pennison was seeing a hypnotherapist to determine the reason for extreme sleep issues. He is also trying to get help for PTSD, but is unable to get any from the VA at the time due to an official report of the events of the Rendlesham Forest not existing. During his second hypnosis event with the hypnotherapist, he says something strange, and it's very well documented in his transcripts with the therapist for the world to see. He says, and quote, Yes, it was repairing itself. All they wanted was a place to stay while it repaired itself. Following shortly with another response to a statement he made while under hypnosis about the government interrogation agents, quote, They asked me if I ever had any other encounters with them, binary, and them, the time travelers. I haven't. They are discussing it between themselves the situation they've got a problem in 2010 he showed these numbers to linda moulton howe filmmaker and journalist kim sheeran co-executive producer of history channels ancient aliens and a few others who recognize the numbers as binary code according to the book encounter in reynolds the codes revealed a lot of information, including coordinates of a long lost underwater city, an advanced civilization similar to Atlantis named High Brazil off the coast of Ireland. It actually lists it twice. Before the first set of numbers quoted Exploration of Humanity and the number six hundred sixty six eight one zero zero. After the second set the words origin year, and the numbers 8100 followed the coordinates. Other coordinates of places like Caracal, Brazil, Sedona, Arizona, Pyramids of Giza, Nazca Lines in Peru, Tao Shan Wu in China, and the portal at Temple of Apollo in Greece, and other terms such as continuous for planetary advam fourth coordinate contuit u q s c b p r before and eyes for your eyes were also taken out of the binary code
3: eyes of your eyes
1: so what do you guys think about that information eyes of your eyes oh yeah i'm sorry eyes of your eyes
3: so what do you guys think of that
2: i think it's a bunch of nonsense
3: uh... Okay, so let me just say if you're an ultra advanced extraterrestrial, first of all, why do you have lights on your craft? Second of
2: all, I -hmm. always say that, dude, yes. (laughs) Right? Okay. He does. Yeah. Second of all, why
3: do these things always land or like make contact at like military bases or somewhere in like some secret location like why 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 don't they just show up like at freaking disney world or somewhere where the general public can see these things i don't know thirdly why would you use binary
1: well hold on binary is thought to be the most basic form of communication in both mathematics and technology so from our
0: perspective
1: binary doesn't well i mean Binary doesn't necessarily have to be ones and zeros. It can be thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes, no. uh, Blue light, red light. um, Anything, right? If you have a combination of two different things in a pattern, in a certain pattern, it can mean something. So Morse code is a form of binary. Um, So you would have to think, that binary code would be used fluently throughout any intelligent civilization that might exist in the universe but how do those binary codes equal english words that's where it may, that's where it doesn't make sense to me well
3: that too but again we i get what you're saying and i understand that premise but this is all coming from human intellect right this is what we would think is the most uh basic form of communication whereas some super advanced extraterrestrial civilization they they might not even you know what i'm saying like who's to say that they even give a shit they
2: might not even speak
3: yeah you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like they're probably using telepathy or like who knows what i mean Or symbols of some kind. You know what I mean? I just don't necessarily buy into the idea that other worlds would be using any type of communication that we're using here.
2: Also, that they show, he showed the numbers to Linda Howe and Mm -hmm. Kim Sheeran, both of them from the History Channel's Ancient Aliens. Right. Yeah. And already having an agenda that the pyramids and everything are built by aliens, they somehow say, oh, they're coordinates to all these places where there's pyramids and stuff (laughs) like I think that's complete (laughs) crap like they just they're just winging it for I don't know views on their show like yeah that seems more likely to me that they're just like oh gosh they listed out all the coordinates for the the pyramids and you can't possibly you know fact check us on this because we're the only ones that understand this code that happens to be on this one-of-a-kind spaceship yeah
1: yeah so I do have some theories and it's, we'll uh, we'll talk about it at the end. I've never, ever wanted to get to the end of a, of one of my reports more than I wanted to get to the end of this because I really just want to talk, man. I really do. <laughs> but we have a little bit more to go. You guys ready? Ready. Yep. So let's get into the theories. I actually really like one of these in the book. Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, authors Nick Pope, John Burroughs, and Jim Pennison outline a handful of theories for different aspects of the story. Some of these are probably on everyone's mind when they hear of these events, and some of them are a little on the woo-woo side. So let's go over them real quick, and let's see what our cast thinks of them as well. First one, drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This was battled by the authors as being unreasonable. They make a good argument, That if it was an issue with drugs and or alcohol, that it would have had to have been a really bad problem, as over a hundred people claim to have seen something between those two nights, and one of them would have had to have been Lieutenant Colonel Halt. They include that even Lord Hill Norton, the United Kingdom's former chief of the defense staff, made his statement, quote, either large numbers of people were hallucinating or lying. And for an American Air Force nuclear base, this is extremely dangerous. But what they saw happened did happen. Now, the second theory is delusions and mass hysteria. This wouldn't make sense because of the evidence. How would you explain the radar readings, impressions on the ground, damage to trees, and radiation readings? Prank is the third option. How would they fake the radar and radiation reading again? Mm. A meteor. Many UFO reports turn out to be meteors making entry into or through the Earth's atmosphere. But come on, are we really going to consider this as an option for the events that many people describe? In my opinion, no. But speaking of lights in the sky, a few hours earlier than the first event on the 25th, a piece of the Cosmos 749 satellite made re-entry. The debris was seen in many countries, including the United Kingdom, Morocco, Spain, Portugal, and France. But again, this took place hours before the first event, and the first event started on the ground and went up into the sky, not the other way around. Another option is training exercise. With or without the use of mind control or technology such as holograms, could the Air Force have been testing their base defense by creating a diversion outside the gate to see if it would leave a section of the base vulnerable to invasion or attack? Although there is no proof that this wasn't done, there are two reasons I can come up with as to why this wouldn't have been the case. One, this is excessive, way too excessive for an exercise used to test NCOs on security breaches. And two, if a program using these things, such as holograms and mind control, is real, this would be a highly classified subject and wouldn't be used in a place like Randlesham. Most likely, This would be tested at places with secret facilities, such as Area 51 or Wright-Patterson. Now, the last one that they talk about before we get into the woo-woo. this is actually the one I really like. I like this one. This makes sense to me. Secret aircraft or drone. So in the book I read, they made a good point about this option. What if it was an aircraft or drone? And what if it was Soviet? The Cold War didn't end for another nine years. This was one of the premier bases in NATO and was theorized to house nuclear weapons. What would it look like if an experimental Russian aircraft landed in the forest and meant to tease those who responded? What if it was having mechanical issues and was not what they meant to do? Would this be covered up by all three governments? Russia for having faulty technology and the the incapability to use their new toys correctly? The U.K. for allowing such an aircraft across its borders while freely flying around doing whatever it wanted to, and the U.S. for allowing it to spy on a nuclear weapons housing facility, maybe even the most important one in NATO due to its location in proximity to Russia and other nuclear players. I don't know, but this is one that I personally wouldn't send to the back burner. These, among a few others, were some of the more reasonable and down-to-earth possibilities for what may have actually happened during these events. Now let's look at some of the other more woo-woo options that were outlined in Pope Burroughs and Penison's book. The first option they point out is extraterrestrials. Now this is one of the more popular opinions when it comes to UFOs in general. I personally don't believe that at all. If any, UFOs are being piloted by alien beings from other planets. As everybody is aware of, UFO stands for Unidentified Flying Object. In no way, shape, or form does that mean piloted by aliens. There are a lot of things in this world that we are still unaware of, and a few of those things may be flying through our airspace, or it can simply be a top-secret vehicle from our nation or another. I have gone on record on this show a dozen times as to why I don't believe we are being visited by alien beings from another planet. Don't worry, I'm not going to dilute this episode with more of my personal beliefs on that matter, but I will recommend a few of our episodes that I do go further into the subject on, and those are of course the DoD UFO episode, the UFO document episode, the Berkshire UFO incident, all of those from season 2, and extraterrestrials and interdimensionals from season 1. But I will say that I do believe that if we are being visited by aliens, quote unquote, we are being visited by beings from another dimension and not from another planet. And with that, I will lead into their second option that they lay out in this book. The subjects of multiple universes and additional dimensions added onto what we can perceive is a topic that many consider pseudoscience. But there are many reputable scientists working at the Large Hadron Collider located at CERN the european center of nuclear research near geneva switzerland attempting to prove the existence of these theorized subjects although the idea of the interdimensional beings being the cause of the Reynoldsham incident cannot be proved it is one that cannot be disproved yet either and the third and final woo-woo theory is my personal favorite and i'll get into why later is time travel like that of the theory of multiple and parallel dimensions We cannot prove this to be true or false. We cover this topic heavily in our episode simply titled Time Travel. But we can speculate on one thing that was brought up by Pope Burroughs and Pennison, and that is that time travel would most likely not be the answer. Their argument is something that I really do agree with, and that it is that if time travel is possible, it would be very, very strict in its rules and would be very heavily monitored by the governing forces. This is so we do not create an issue with the grandfather paradox. With something flying around so radically and carefree as the objects in the Rendlesham Forest incident, it would be hard to believe that these objects were attempting to not change the course of history, thereby breaking the rules of the grandfather paradox and possibly erasing their own existence. So no, I don't think it was time travelers. Because even if they were degenerate time travelers, they would have and very well could have deleted their existence or at least their place in the universe by doing such an act. And therefore, we would never have witnessed such an event. I just want to make it clear, I don't like that explanation as the explanation for what happened. I like their explanation in the book. Like everything I wrote down there was from the book. They made a really, really good argument about it using the grandfather paradox and such and how erratic these things were flying and how uh, carefree they were. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go into this hypothetical future where time travel is available, there would be an extreme restriction on it because of something such as the grandfather paradox could literally annihilate an entire future by farting in the wrong room or whatever. I mean, seriously it is, but I'm at a break here and I'm going to go ahead and throw it on over to you guys for any of your inputs on some of these theories.
3: Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it was a training exercise. I think that's probably my favorite one of these, but it's not in any of the things you've listed. I think that they might've been training to see how, Uh, how these soldiers would react to some of the secret tech that they're playing with, like the mind control and the
2: holograms. And the first thing they do is try to tell everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I'm leading into secret aircraft or drone, and I would like to wait until the very end of the talking points to kind of get into it because i think that i think that it's enough of a theory that it could completely derail the rest of this episode (laughs) i
1: really like the soviet theory about them testing an aircraft and we'll again talk about it later um but that is out of the theories that were laid out in that section of my report that is my favorite and i think that it makes
2: the most sense. Well, but, I don't think that it has anything to do with the Soviets, but yeah. All right, you ready, to roll? Ready. Yep. We got two more sections to go and then we're done.
1: And they're both small. <clears throat> so let's get into the rumors. There are many rumors surrounding the Reynoldsham Forest UFO incident. Some of them are believable, such as the rumor that the suicide rate skyrocketed at RAF Bentwaters Woodbridge, and some of the rumors were a little more woo boo. One of the more woo-woo theories outlined by Pope, Burroughs, and Peniston is that one of the most common conspiracy theories involved with these events is that the reason why the crash was interested in the area was because they were actually looking for RAF Bodsey. Bodsey is near Randlesham Forest and is theorized to be the home of many different top-secret projects, such as Cobra Mist, the over-the-horizon radar system. In a facility rumored to do things similar to the Montauk Air Force Base in Long Island, that is supposed to have done work with air dimensional trials, time travel, and the famous disappearing USS Eldridge as a part of the Philadelphia experiment. Could a craft being piloted by Russians, aliens, or interdimensionals have been attempting to spy on a top secret project at RAF Bodsey? Another real interesting set of rumors that were highlighted by Pope Burroughs and Peniston is one that the HMS Norfolk was anchored just off the coast near the lighthouse, and its crew was ordered to stay under deck on the 27th of December in 1980, and two, that a handful of local prisons and jails and juvenile detention centers were put on alert for a possible sudden evacuation order for the same night. This would have been very interesting additions to the story. The HMS Norfolk was a British cruiser-type ship with 16 different cannons and guns. This would have been positioned in cases to defense the country. But apparently, according to the MOD, the Norfolk was stationed at Portsmouth at the time. But the prisons were a different story. There are conflicting reports of what is true and what isn't when it comes to the evacuation orders given to the detention centers. Some credible sources state that the order was given to allow for others who were evacuated from an unknown location to be housed at the detention centers in response to an unknown national emergency. And of course, the Ministry of Defense says there are no records of this order ever being given. So what do you guys think about those rumors?
3: I like the Philadelphia experiment rumor. I don't think it has, I don't think it has any weight to it, but... I'm a fan of that story, so you know, just hearing that, just <laughs> hearing the Philadelphia experiment, like gets my gets my blood flowing a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, rumors. All right, so let's jump into different stories. now This is the last section we have, okay? Mm-hmm. Now it is important to understand that just like most cases that we deal with here on Infinite Rabbit Hole, there are many different variations to the stories told by different people. Here are a few of them that I came across. At the very beginning of the episode, I outlined an event where an unknown craft was making its way around the area and was being tracked by many different radars, and there was an aircraft deployed to intercept the craft. One such varying story outlines how this was tied to a completely different event from late October of the same year, and in no way, shape, or form had anything to do with the events in Rendlesham Forest. This would be significant because this would take away one major piece of evidence in this case. That being that this craft was tracked by radar, of course. The fact that both the U.S. Air Force and the Ministry of Defense have records of this event and actively investigated it with interest. Many different eyewitnesses with stories similar enough to be described in the same event, the military's many attempts to falsify statements and cover up events, And by adding radar evidence this makes a solid case without radar evidence it's still solid it's not as good and the last thing i'm gonna say another different story to highlight is how the organization known as cause first obtained the famed halt memo before they themselves released the story to the tabloid larry warren the man who we initially described as a whistleblower that introduced the story to the British tabloid was actually someone working with cause to obtain the Halt Memo with the power of the British Freedom of Information Act, which was established in 2000. Hence the reason why the story didn't hit tabloids until way after the events in 1980, which I think it actually hit in 2003. So three years after the British Freedom of Information Act was actually established. And given the the rights to the people to request this kind of information. So that's it. I know there wasn't a lot there. I just thought it would be nice to add some alternate stories. I wouldn't hold a candle to any of these, really. Just want to put it out there because, you know, people that are listening to the show may go and do some research and be like, oh, he didn't say this. Well, I did. It's just at the end. It's an alternate story. Not a lot of people talk about it, but this is something that pops up.
2: Jeff, you want to go first, or you want me to go first? Go ahead, bud. Not to blow a hole in this. Ladies thing. first. Okay, so this gentleman. airfield, right? Yes. Scrolled back further into the notes to verify that what my my thought was was accurate, and that was that this airbase was made during World War II, or towards the end of World War II. Yes. Right. Here we have a airbase used by allied forces in world war ii obviously it wasn't disbanded afterwards because i mean we very rarely disband an airbase um or it becomes a nato base or whatever and we we all share it you know we might have a couple squadrons they have a couple squadrons whatever right i don't know off the top of my head if there's any fact in this at all but we know what hitler was doing partially during world war ii was he was trying to make the most advanced weapons in the world and he was among other things really big into the occult and you know trying to access secret information and he was doing stuff with like geez, what is it nazi like uh artifacts they're trying to collect from like all sorts of religious artifacts and stuff like they were doing a lot of weird stuff right But one of the things they were doing was they had a whole mess of scientists that were developing things like Warner Von Braun with the V2 rocket program, which was the world's first uh, ballistic guided missile, right? And it's theorized that had we not won the war and with Operation Paperclip took all those scientists... Um, that they would have been the first ones to the moon because their rocket program was so dang advanced. Um, but on top of what we did with Operation Paperclip, where we took all these Nazi scientists, these, you know, really, really intelligent people that unfortunately, a lot of them were pretty terrible people. Um, the UK also took a number of them and I don't know, again, I don't know if there's any, like, factual validity to this, but there's a lot of uh, weaponry that they were working on, like a a gun that was, you know, traveling by rail. It was, like, the largest cannon in the world. Um, and also a thing called the Nazi Bell. Uh, yeah. And that's mm. the first thing I thought of was the, the Nazi Glock. Bell. Because, yeah, because the Nazi Bell is... Uh, there are a couple of different theories on it, whether it was a type of like gravity defying UFO, or it was a time travel device, or something like this. So let's just say, for the sake of conversation, you know, post, uh, uh, post, um, presentation for this episode, that what if because these scientists that they took weren't just like a bunch of biologists right? They weren't just a bunch of doctors and stuff. They were people that knew about nuclear fusion. There were people that knew about space and, you know, they were uh, mathematicians. They were really, 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 really intelligent people, right? And it helped us to develop all types of different weaponry and got us to the moon. Um, but what if the Nazi bell did have validity to it? And instead of taking this thing and moving it all the way across the world to the United States they moved it to a NATO base that was not very far away where there was already a nuclear arsenal or had developed you know had developed a a space for storing a nuclear arsenal that would already be top secret that was kind of in the middle of nowhere because it was in the middle of this forest and that's where they decided to work on a top secret project which was the development of a ufo or something some sort of aircraft that would defy gravity and that maybe they use a tremendous amount of radiation or something like that i'm not suggesting that it's like a like a ufo or like um a bob lazar type spacecraft that has some sort of element in it that hasn't been discovered yet but i'm, I'm just saying like like if there was some validity to the fact that the the nazis were smart enough to have developed some sort of gravity-defying something or another. And it was being further developed in this, on this airbase. And so maybe pushing the agenda that, well, this thing looks like what people would figure a UFO looks like or a spacecraft, so let them run with that. Because, like Jeff was saying, a lot of people would downplay that. A lot of people would say, well, I don't believe that. And a lot of people like me would never hear about it until it's brought up for an episode idea. but there is some validity to it because maybe it's pretty much exactly what they said it was you know the way it was shaped you know maybe the designs on it whatever it was but they are like well instead of having this giant bell shape we can just do a short you know stumpy triangle type thing i don't know like that's where my head went with it and so i was just like well i mean the time frame of the airbase lines up the location of it lines up and then i went into uh i did a very quick google search and i was just like you know operation paperclip and i found out that there was another one that the uk did where they took like a hundred of those scientists into uk or into mm. the uk so that's that's my theory so that's that my theory research. of this yeah <laughs> so developing this while you're speaking and like getting all those points and i'm glad that you know when you were talking about the uh you know secret aircraft or drone you didn't you went into the Soviets, but not necessarily not the Germans. But that was a huge thing because that was, for the most part, World War II. Of course, there was you know things going on in Japan, but Germany was a huge portion of World War II. Mm. And the fact that we still have those bases all around the world, a lot of them have to do with World War II and where, where we needed to set up in order to launch from in all these different areas. And it's just like, maybe this has something to it. Not bad, dude. Not bad.
1: Jeff, your turn. Okay. Let's see which one I like better.
3: (laughs) Here we go.
2: All right. We'll take a vote.
3: So, the Rendlesham (laughs) incident was in 1980, right? 1980 was the the year in question here. So, in 1969... Well, let me just make sure I got the right tab here so I'm not reading the wrong thing. Okay, so yeah, 1969, U.S. patent 3675879A, method and means for creating artificial gravity in spacecraft. In the abstract, an electrostatic generator at the underside of a floor in a space vehicle produces electrostatic energy, which radiates from the top side thereof to attract astronauts in their footwear and clothing and their implements to the top side floor of the simulation of natural gravity. Then right here, 2004 U S patent two zero zero six zero one four five zero one nine a one triangular spacecraft, the TR three B we've talked about this before.
1: The TR three B that's exactly where I thought you were going. With I
3: this. knew you did mm. TR three B number four in the claims here says to create by claims, Two and three, an interaction of the electrostatic field with the electromagnetic wave such that a combined space-time curvature pressure is generated on the hole in the upward and forward direction to produce lift and propulsion respectively. So it's using electrostatic fields and it's actually altering space-time through space-time curvature. And then... If you go to military.com, you can actually type in TR-3B, anti-gravity spacecrafts. There are videos of these triangular spacecraft with the lights flying around. This is the TR-3B. It's definitely a real thing. And then you can look at all of the Jeremy Corbell footage, like the, uh, you know, the uh, what do you call it? like the night vision or the night scope that was on the U.S. Uh, the U.S. destroyer, and it's clearly yeah. a triangular spacecraft. Another example of the TR-3B. But here's the other thing too, right? So this triangular spacecraft patent in 2004 was uh, applied uh, application filled by John Q. Saint Clair. And if you get into some uh, occult. the 13 bloodlines that rule the world. One of them is Sinclair, which has been changed to St. Clair. So that's another one. You can actually go to CIA.gov and in the library, you can search bloodlines of Illuminati and there's an entire document here listing all 13 of the bloodlines. And if I do a control F search and type in Sinclair, it is mentioned eight times, the Sinclair name. So I'm not going to say that the one that they saw in Rendlesham was a TR3B because of the size difference, TR3B is pretty big, but I mm-hmm. think that it was probably a predecessor to TR3B that might be a little smaller, uh, you know, before they built the big guy uh, or maybe some other model, you know, but it's something with the same technology. It's the TR3A. Could be the TR3A, right. And like I was saying earlier, (laughs) I think that it was a a test on on friendlies to judge reactions to this craft and to this technology.
2: So then technically, both me and Jeff's theories could intertwine. Well, that's what I was actually going to get to.
3: Here's here's the thing about the Nazi bell. The Nazi bell was not a triangle.
2: Looking at military.com, the TR3B, watching the video as you're talking about it. Like, yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. I don't know like where this technology was uh developed from, you know, where they, they got the information from. But yeah, I think that the fact that it was a nuclear base has a lot to do with it. Maybe Because there was a nuclear arsenal, which, I mean, Jeff will tell you those don't exist, but (laughs) um, maybe they were hoping that people would be more, you know, shut the heck up about it and not be so, I'm going to tell everyone I know. Well, that, you know, that even if they saw something super messed up, that they would be like, well, I can't say anything because of the secret nature of this base
3: so the the fact that it was at this base that may or may not have held nukes right depending on what you believe about nukes right um and it wasn't lit up (laughs) it wasn't lit the fuck up okay tells me that Mm -hmm. somebody was in the know either in contact with that Mm -hmm. base or on that base they knew that there was this craft their craft or an allied craft coming in to do whatever it was Mm -hmm. doing so that's why they didn't just shoot it out of the sky okay and it's not like right it's not like the uh the famous case in la where they actually were like firing anti aircraft at an object like i didn't hear that yeah we're gonna do that one day right so i can't wait there was nobody shooting at this thing you would think that if it was some unknown craft you know they would be lighting it up you know what i'm saying Somebody knew. Somebody knew it was there and they knew it was friendly and they ordered a stand down <laughs> on some level and then they were testing the reactions of all the other people in this story. I hate to
1: create an echo chamber. I really do. <laughs> I do. But at the same time, you guys added more fuel to my fire, right? Mm-hmm. So I came into this episode. Of course, I love Jeff. I just love him. Jeff, I'm gonna talk you up here for just a minute again, as I do every fucking episode, <laughs> right? So, Jeff does this thing. He does a thing, right? Where he goes and he he says something that's like crazy. And you're like, yo, okay, dude, nuclear bombs don't he exist. He backs it up with guns. <laughs> and then he backs it up with all this shit. And then you're like, fuck, dude, now I gotta go and I have to research something that I thought I would never have to look into because I thought it was just a normal part of fucking life. And now, you know, I have to sit here and prove that the English language is actually a fucking language. <laughs> or <laughs> something crazy, dude. And it's just like, damn it, Jeff, you fucking suck. But this is why he's in the infinite rabbit hole. And I love having him here because he does shit like this. Oh, one more and thing. He does shit like the TR3B.
3: Yep. One more thing. Interdimensionals. Go ahead. Interdimensionals don't need a spacecraft to travel travel interdimensionally. You can travel interdimensionally without a craft. So I don't think it's that either.
2: What if the interdimensionals are robots and that's what they look like?
3: The robots are triangular spacecraft. <sighs> Why not? All right, now who's the crazy one?
2: They're just Some a big, big brain. Could have been a could have been a drone. But anyways. <laughs> We're past that. It doesn't exist anymore now that these patents have been exposed.
1: <laughs> Jake, the Nazi bell thing was really interesting because you could tie it into the TR-3B, right? Right. The, the reason why is because, well, you had the Nazi bell, and then you had Project Paperclip, and then you had a time frame where they were either uh, reverse engineering the technology used quote unquote in -hmm. the in the the nazi bell and it looks it it honestly looks like it's the nazi bell repackaged is Mm -hmm. what it looks like and that's what i'm kind of getting to is that the tr3b may be a sophisticated advanced version of what they were able to get from the nazis in the nazi bell That's how I can connect those two theories together. I think both of your theories are very awesome. Very, very interesting. Jeff, of course, you came with fucking patents and and stuff. And it's like, well, I can't argue any of it. Jake, awesome job bringing in the history. Really, really love that. I personally thought that the Russian drone was actually a very interesting uh, idea. and Of course, you know, yeah. You're right. The area, the time frame, and everything. World War Two. Okay, I could see it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, the the time frame, though, during the Cold War. Right, you're in the the heat of the Cold War. Is this something that that they would do in the heat of the Cold War? That's the only thing that I can come up with. Would they test?
3: No, because if it was a, a Russian drone, they would have got lit up right
1: Mm -hmm. well not just that but would they be testing their security in the heat of the cold war when all this really important shit is going on in the world that's my only concern right but what really makes sense is the location and that was like the the one thing that i was like not okay with when it came to the idea of testing their their personnel when it came to their reaction to technology But it makes sense. If you were to do it, you're not going to go to Norfolk, right? Where it's right in the middle of Hampton Roads, Virginia. There's four or five major cities all in one corner and they all kind of surround Norfolk and Willoughby Bay there, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Everyone's going to see it. Too many eyes are going to see it. If you're going to do something like this, do it in the middle of the fucking woods. Yep. And the middle of Rendlesham Forest. Where farmer Tim saw a, an alien craft. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it's NATO controlled and nuclear arsenal and all that stuff. But, uh, I want to say that RAF Bentwaters, Woodbridge, is actually actually has one of the smaller population densities when it comes to United States Air Force bases at the time. Um, so, there was less people there than it would be at normal bases.
2: Well, and the reason why I think that there's some validity to it being there versus, say, Area 51 or whatever, or some whatever, China Lake, right? That's in the yeah, middle yeah, of the desert, right? Yep. It's a very small population, middle of the desert. Really, the only people that live there are people that are in the military and they live in base housing. Like, that's, yep. you know, pretty much it. But, I think that it has, the validity goes into the fact that it's a NATO base, that it's an allied base. So maybe our scientists, their scientists, the captured Nazi scientists, you know, it's a joint effort between two nations. I mean, Britain, or England rather, is our closest ally. Like Mm -hmm. 100% hands down, right? And so it's just like, you know, maybe because of the location of just the fact that it's in their country but it's a allied base and it's all part of this operation and stuff but yeah i don't know man and yeah I like what you said there the the repackaged version of the nazi bell because you know you got to figure as technology increases we downsize dramatically so the first computers mm-hmm. that were the size of a freaking you know house the building <laughs> yeah you know are now you know sitting underneath my my you know desk right now and Mm -hmm. that sort of you know let's say the top of the nazi bell was all you know and we know working on some super old aircraft what Mm -hmm. really old analog technology looks like Mm -hmm. and it's just absolutely i mean cables as thick as your wrist right and it's just like but as technology increases all those things get downsized because we can package it into smaller and smaller and smaller spaces right and Mm -hmm. uh yeah, I mean, there would be no need for this massive, well, bell-shaped object if you could pack it into a, a triangle with a hump on the top, you know? <laughs> so I, I think that, I mean, that's, I I don't know. So It's just a theory.
3: And I agree with you, uh, Jeremy. I don't think they were testing the security aspect of this base. I think more so they were probably testing the psychological aspect of the soldiers.
1: I personally feel that that is a very risky move. I don't put it above the government to, or, you know, the world government or the NATO to, to, to do something like that. I definitely think they could, I definitely think they would, but I still have the opinion that like, it's probably not a good idea in the heart of cold war.
3: Probably not. <laughs> but again, they they followed it up with intense interrogations with who knows what they were doing. Again, they could have been doing, uh, memory implantation during these interrogations they could have been doing mind control things right they were also telling these guys to falsify their reports they were also threat apparently threatening mm-hmm. these dudes lives so i think yeah. that they came in behind themselves and they mm-hmm. did a pretty good cleanup job on top of putting out disinformation like you were saying so i don't think they worried yeah. too much about it you know i
1: you know the thing that kills me about this story and what could make this, um, like, I, I love this story. I think this is a great story. This is a, a solid uh, piece of UFO literature, lore, or whatever you want to call it. It's just really well rounded, you know? It has everything. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, you know, I, I don't want to badmouth people because who knows? Maybe one day they'll be on the show and they could prove me wrong. You know, I've opened this up to Burroughs and Pennison, you know, and, and Holt, but there's so much fluff in it. And it's like, why? Like y'all saw something really neat. You know, we get mm-hmm. it. Something happened. But why do we have to add all this extra stuff to it? There, There's just so much like why exactly like what you said, Jake that he came forward to these people who were the producers of ancient
2: aliens <laughs> yeah, about of course they're going to say that it had to do with the pyramids <laughs> of course they're going to literally it's, go and be like where's where, where's where's all the alien
1: shit at oh yeah the Nazca lines oh yeah yeah definitely went there too you know and it's yeah. like uh man why though why are you going to add all this stupid shit you know you have a solid thing and and it's it's all fluff because they're trying to sell their story, you know and and same thing with dude who who said that he saw alien beings talking with uh a general and stuff. he's just trying to sell a story
2: I wonder when Bob Lazar first started telling his story. I don't know if you've heard his thing on on Joe Rogan, but he really goes into what he did over it. I think he said it was s Four, you know over by um area 51 and stuff it's like it, it's by there but it's well it just is like, area
1: 51 it's it's the the map uh okay. region yeah yeah
2: but he you know went into a huge really deep detail about what he saw there and then the the new element and all these different things and about how his, his house and his you know, his office and everything keeps getting ransacked and all of this stuff gets taken and and all this sort of stuff. But I wonder when he first started talking about this sort of stuff, if it had anything to do with aliens, I wonder if I don't know, maybe there could have been a possible like. Give an example, I see a Bigfoot and I have this good story, but it's pretty generic. This is what happened, all this sort of stuff. And then maybe someone else comes out with a Bigfoot thing where they like spoke to it or something like that. And they go into huge detail about it. And Me maybe being a little bit jealous of, you know, mm-hmm. their story, want to embellish a little bit on mine and say, oh, well, there was also this, you know, there's more to it. You know, oh, I found out what those things were, you know, without adding too much crazy detail, but maybe making it a little bit more impressive of a story. I'm not suggesting that um that they're liars. Uh that's just my thoughts as far as like why there would be this extra thing that you know really it doesn't need to be in there because mm-hmm. without it it's already a really super cool story and a really if it's a true experience that happened that's a wicked experience that most people will never ever have. Right? And so even if it was a military aircraft, right? Most people on Earth will never be able to experience that. So it's unneeded to say, oh, well, then later on I went and talked to the, the you know, people that say that all the crazy historical stuff on Earth was made by the aliens. And they told me that this was made by the aliens that, you know, had whatever coordinates to all these alien structures on earth and it's just like you don't need to add all that extra stuff to get more attention like you already had everyone's attention you know yeah that's what that feels like to me and i I could be a hundred percent wrong on that but that's what just kind of jumped
3: i think there's definitely some embellishment but the thing about the implanted memories thing really is where i'm kind of stuck right now because you know if you have implanted memories through some form of mind control or high technology or something like this you're gonna believe what you believe Regardless if it 's true or not, so i don't think people like Bob Lazar or any of these guys are necessarily liars. I just think that their implanted memories are so real to them that they truly believe what it is that they're saying, and that could be the case with all of these guys in this story as well. You know, and again, you know if the intelligence agencies want everybody to just brush this off like it 's a crazy UFO story, which most of the general public probably do uh, that's what that 's what they would do. They would implant some you know some uh beefed up shit in there just to make it seem a little bit more crazy you know what i mean
2: yeah well you can't prove ufos how are you going to dig in you can't prove that there was or was not a ufo versus proving that there is a uh you
0: know
3: you know they had these things on radar on record so it was definitely a, a craft and i believe a craft from here you know again i don't think super advanced right uh Aliens or whatever would be got caught on radar. Same with like the tic-tac UFO from Commander Fravor. I don't I don't think that aliens or whatever would have their shit caught on radar. Not for a moment. You know what I mean?
2: Well, I don't know. We'll get into well, I that mean, later. Isn't that what the F-35 is for? The reason why it has all those crazy angles and stuff. Like it's not even the fastest jet that we have. It can't carry a large payload. Literally, its only job is to be able to evade enemy radar and not be picked up. Like that's the whole mo of that thing, and that's that's one of our
3: craft. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Crazy
2: interdimensional beings. They would. It would be like, like it wasn't even there. (laughs) Like it wouldn't exist. You know. Yeah. Our radar systems and our planes would explode and burst into flames by trying to capture it. Like it would be something like absolutely insane that you can't even comprehend how they're doing it, and also why the hell would there be lights? You know. Yep. Because like like I said it before. We don't have to have lights on our aircraft to see anything. You know, we could go lights off, use the flare, we can see perfectly clear through the flare as if it's day. You know, you can't tell me that if there are some super duper advanced beings out there that they need to have lights on their spacecraft. No. All right, we're at an hour and a half, gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) It's past my bedtime. Let's make it three hours.
1: Guys, that was great. The conversation at the end. Is definitely the highlight. And I hope that most listeners, if not all listeners, get to the conversation here at the end, because I think that's where we really were able to dissect this thing and jump in. Jeff, Jake, both of you guys said you guys had some bangers. To take that word from Jeff, I've been using that Mm -hmm. a lot lately, by the way. (laughs) And you guys showed out. I hope that anybody that listened to this episode enjoyed it i put a lot of time and effort into this uh well over a month and a half worth of research and i hope that you enjoyed it i hope that you guys liked it i hope that we can do some more ufo stuff in the future do either you guys have anything to say to all the travelers before we leave
3: um nukes are fake space is fake (laughs) uh to be continued
2: (laughs) nukes are real space is real There's no aliens, though. That's all made up. And uh, Bigfoot exists. Bigfoot does exist. I had to plug Bigfoot because we plugged him last episode. We had to plug him this episode. We have to plug him every episode. We should. Well, I did say the Bigfoot story thing. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Bigfoot is real. I am on the fence about space because I need to know what the fuck Jeff's talking about. I still haven't been able to to squeeze that out of him yet. And that's going to that's going to be a banger (laughs) right there. (laughs) <laughs> love it love it
2: we should make a shirt that has a a globe in the middle and then st- all this black you know around it and the stars and all that stuff and then have just a bunch of like like little circ- red circles with slash marks through them like all over the fake. place fake fake fake, fake fake
1: fake 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 well no
3: no no. there's the luminaries there's luminaries up there it's just not what we're told <laughs> there's why there
2: needs to fucking do an episode on They're boom spotlights <laughs> They finally flipped the circuit breaker. You ever and seen working. the Truman show? <laughs>
3: you ever seen the Truman show? Right yeah, I just watched it with my wife and this the, weekend.
2: The spotlight
3: falls and it's called Sirius. It's the, it's the dog star. It's a spotlight that falls out of the sky <laughs> and it's literally the dog star.
1: I never noticed that. I yeah, never noticed that. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, until next time, travelers. We'll see you in the next path of the infinite rabbit hole. Bye, adios. Bye. As promised, we are here, Jake and myself. We're here with Dave of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour podcast to give you his opinions and reflections on Rendlesham as a whole. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to complete the episode two with us, but he's here to give us his input. So Dave, what's going on, man?
4: Not much. Glad to be back. I'm glad I could be a part of part two. It was unfortunate to not be a part of the the whole package you know but i'm here i'm
2: (laughs) (laughs) shit happens man shit happens yeah
4: the zipper wasn't all the way up
2: (laughs) (laughs) how'd you get the beans above the frank
1: (laughs) (laughs) so man give us give us a little bit of uh you know your reflections on on the episode and let's get some chatting going dude I didn't.
4: I don't think I talked too much in the first one. I I just I think I kept saying this is a crazy story because it is. It's mm-hmm. a it's a wild story. You guys unpacked a lot more in this episode when it comes to evidence of is this real? Is this not real? Are we dealing with a secret military project? Are we dealing with time travelers? So there's a lot there. Some of my major points with it, I agree with all three of you on all the points so <laughs> it's really it's really hard because this this is this like number one you guys mentioned the the nazi bell
0: mm-hmm. and yeah, wasn't that yeah. like
4: the Ke- that was the Kexburg
1: incident right in Kecksburg, pennsylvania where they supposedly saw
4: the nazi bell? it's
1: it's familiar i don't want to put out too much okay this is a major hint to anybody who made it to the end of this episode obviously but we may be talking about kexberg coming up soon
4: we may we may hit that in season six or seven, so it's it's on the long list of things to touch. I already have the research
1: stuff for
2: it. <laughs> yeah, basically, the reason why I brought up the Nazi bell was because I was just thinking about the area and what was going on at, at, in that time frame, and then shortly after World War II, when we were snatching up all those Nazi scientists, and so were you know so was England
4: Operation Paperclip,
2: right? And just like yeah. I mean, England they had. I think they had like three dozen scientists that they end up snatching up, and they called it something. It was another operation. It was not paperclip, but it was the same exact thing, which was we're Operation up Stapler. Guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> operation, I believe you have my stapler. Yeah. And they're just, and there's, I love office space. And they're snatching these guys up. And I'm just like, what if all that? crazy Nazi experimentation because clearly they had something going for them with their you know uh, V2 missile project but or the rocket project but clearly they had something going on they had some sort of like these massive brains on these scientists so what if it just got put somewhere that was close by and we're gonna work on it in the middle of this forest. And so I was just kind of trying to make ties in right there. But we saved all this stuff for the end because we knew Jeff was gonna just blow the lid off this thing, or at least attempt <laughs> to. And for the most part, it seems like he really did. He's like, "Oh, check out this tier three B," and he just, you know. And it was it was funny because I was listening to episode one because so we released it, and I listened to it at the end as a, as a whole, and it was so funny. It was just like. It was like, so basically you're asking us if you want us to ruin if this is going to be a short episode or a long episode, because you're going to ruin it for us. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's save your key points at the end. Man, he, he started pulling out some craziness in this episode. If
4: you listen to one of our OG declassified discussions when mm-hmm. I believe I was talking to Frankie in our first one and the TR3B, not sure if I saw it or not, but I have a, two experiences where I've seen a triangle, like directly above me. And my ex-girlfriend like actually was like physically ill because she the anxiety of seeing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like pointing out the window, like, oh my god, look at that. Like, I'm like stoked. <laughs> Called my friend. I was like, yo, oh, there's a like trying, like literally like a an actual event that I clearly remember. And but the size difference to what is noted with the TR3B would be different. I mean, this thing was 30 by 30 by 30. Like this thing was big and skinny. And hmm. the lights were on, the lights were off, and it was completely silent. And I've seen it twice in Connecticut in the same area, like within two miles. And it's, it's, it was weird. And that's something I'll take with me. It was a CR3B, maybe, maybe not. But I definitely got my attention to not look at the road while I was driving instead of, you know, (laughs) looking straight up out my windshield or out the the driver's side door. But it entirely could be, I mean, like I believe Jeff said, it, it could have been a, newer version or an older version of like nazi tech that could have mm-hmm. formulated into this tr3b vehicle which is real he, he's reading off you know patents of stuff and that's it's a craft we've talked about in multiple episodes so entirely possible i mean when it comes to secret aircraft and, and projects you mentioned bob lazar mm-hmm. and his accounts have a little bit of validity to it. Cause like element one hundred and fifteen is something that's now on the periodic table, whether yeah, right. he was just super smart and knew about it and leaked it. But there's other things that Jeremy Corbell had mentioned in, uh, you know, podcasts and his film, but a lot of stuff that he says has had a lot of validity to it. And then the harassment for, you know, ongoing that's ongoing in his life. So Bobble's our story is probably the most convincing when it comes to these types of things, but when it comes to Rendlesham Forest, I really think these guys—it's—it's pro- it's a crapshoot, you know. Like you guys mentioned, time travelers. Let's count that out because interdimensional beings, like you said, would probably not have a craft,
0: mm-hmm.
4: nor would advanced advanced beings have uh, you know landing lights and guiding lights <laughs> on <an laughs> no, aircraft. <right>. You know, <laughs> so, just like hold on, we just want to let you guys know that we don't hit this building right here, or this this power line, you know, right. So that that part of it mm, for me, but or these folks entirely encountered something that's maybe just a little bit more advanced, because the biggest thing about this whole story for me is the binary code that this guy was ripping through in his notebook. That's something that I've heard about with this story for years, and that's one of the bigger things. But like you guys had said, how do we, we decipher it in English? So that's what it read Mm -hmm. and there have been other instances in the uk where we talk about in our crop circles debriefing where binary code is put into a a field but could be a hoax because that's manufactured in the english language or the way that we perceive things so it's a lot of it's a lot of weird things overall i think i'm leaning towards this is probably some top secret thing that was seen because of all the evidence. Like you said, the, the stories and accounts, some of them are a little bit fluffed. Could they have actually experienced certain physical effects because of the, the, the nature of the craft that, that was being used. And then you mentioned some of the smoking gun stuff, which is, uh, evacuations of nearby facilities and having a cruiser sitting off by the lighthouse that's described in the accounts where that was one of the scapegoats for it, you know, like, Oh, it's just the lighthouse, but they told everybody to stay below deck. It means they don't want you to see something. Right. So, yep. For me, this probably is a top secret test that went awry, maybe the long, wrong location, like you said. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's these guys definitely experienced something but whether it's otherworldly, interdimensional, it's probably human beings.
1: I don't disagree. (laughs) You know, I just want to take you back just a little bit while I have you on here and and have the opportunity to have this conversation in front of the listeners. The uh, the TR3B in Connecticut, the whole New England area, the Bridgewater Triangle, the New Hampshire Triangle, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of different places up there that people just see this triangular craft. And it's not the only place, you know, especially here in the United States, but... Uh, It is definitely a hotbed up there where people see these things.
4: One of the most active UFO hotspots, or I guess we can, I'm not politically correct. we got to call them (laughs) UAPs now. Um, uh, Aerial phenomena is Southwick, Massachusetts, which if people are not familiar with New England, Southwick, Massachusetts is the notch in Connecticut on the northern Mm -hmm. part of the border. And for some reason, that is like the hotbed in the whole country. Mm -hmm. Like, for UFO sightings. There's lots of different tic-tacs and triangles. And if you listen to my Declassified Discussions episode, I believe right now it's only on our YouTube. It's going to be put on all outlets pretty soon. Um, But it's, like, a couple minutes with Frankie. And I talk about, like, a reoccurring dream of a craft I used to see in the uh, Fairfield County area of Connecticut when I was a little kid. So really weird stuff in Connecticut going on especially since people don't really know about that state most people that I've met a lot across this country are like is that in Canada
1: like, <laughs> 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 no
4: <laughs> so
1: so there's a lot in, Can- in Connecticut that a lot of people because I, I was born in Connecticut I was in Connecticut all the way up until the summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school and you know a lot of people don't know but the Navy's biggest submarine base Grime. is right there. Oh. Yeah, it's right there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those submarines are are nuclear driven or oh, yeah. uh, pro- propo- <laughs> they're pro- propelled by nuclear power. You know, whenever you have some sort of nuclear anything, you're going like you have this phenomenon where UFOs pop up. And not just that, but you have these humongous. Aircraft plants like Pratt and Whitney, mm-hmm. and I um, got a friend that Sik- works
4: for Pratt and Whitney. She used to be a FA eighteen mechanic out mm-hmm. in yeah. Lancaster or something like that.
1: Well, Sikorsky's there too, and they do yep, all the helicopters. Like they they do the the sixty and the fifty three that Jake and I have worked on before. I mean, there's a lot in Connecticut for them to go to.
4: My dad's friend worked for Sikorsky for like twenty
1: something years. Yeah,
0: uh-huh.
1: I mean. <laughs> you know, or even if one of those places had, you know, was working on a secret government contract, who knows? There,
2: there definitely could be, I mean, they have to test them. It's such a weird place though. It's like, it's so populated. Like maybe Arkansas or Wyoming would be a better place than freaking Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I think
4: Groton's proximity to New York city and Boston Harbor, I think are the, the reason why it's, it's, it's right there at the edge of the, the eastern part of the Long Island Sound. You're pretty close to, you know, some of the major cities in Rhode Island, but you're within, you know, when it comes to air air travel, I mean, you're within 20, 30 minutes to yeah. New York or, mm-hmm. or Boston, even a half hour to D.C. at that, mm-hmm. I would imagine. So, you know, you're really not that far away and it's
1: it's not as cluttered as you think it is. There is no. some pretty rural areas out there in Connecticut, especially when you get up towards the Massachusetts border. But, you know, another thing to to keep in the back of your your mind when you're talking about these government facilities is right across from the Sound there is is Montauk. Yep. Yep. So, and that's a that's a huge place full of conspiracy.
3: Mhm.
4: Going back to Connecticut. Yeah, people don't know that the Northeast and northwest portions of Connecticut are pretty much, I mean, Nothing. it's r- rural rural routes. You know, you know if you're not if you're driving in an ice storm, you're <laughs> you gotta you better be paying attention because you're gonna you're gonna slam into a tree. Is it 95
1: where it goes up straight through Springfield? No, that's 91. 91. 91. Okay. 91 yep. It, it, that's pretty much where where your bulk of stuff is built it, it, along the know, Connecticut gold... River. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're not along those parallels, the latitudinal parallels of, of, uh, the 91 and the the Connecticut river, there's not a lot, especially when you're going even farther north into Massachusetts and Vermont and New Hampshire, there's nothing.
4: Yeah. My brother lives in Southern New Hampshire. And I mean, his town has probably about the same amount of people that my, my 10 square blocks has. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's the, where where things happen, especially with the sightings that have happened in Connecticut in the recent years, there was like a school bus size object 10 years ago or so that was glowing green that fell into I forgot the name of the lake. I don't think it's Lake Zor, but it was, it was a lake that's
1: in the area. All right. Well, that officially concludes our presentation of the Randall Sham forest UFO incident. Let us know if you think that we left anything out. I don't, you know, I think we did a pretty good job. Dave, thanks for coming back and uh, giving us your opinions, man. I really do appreciate it.
4: Thanks for having me. It was a good conversation. I knew that within both parts of this that it was going to end up with a, a solid conversation about this whole incident that involved too many people.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Before we let you go, go ahead and uh, update us with any information that you either want to repeat from the last episode or anything new, man. Go for it. It's all yours.
4: Well, we have an upcoming episode. We are going to be releasing our 39th debriefing on December 27th. A little bit of a Christmas bundle, but you'll see what we did here. It's going to be on the 27 Club, so stay tuned oh. <laughs> for that. Yeah, it's going to be... Nice. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. A little bit out of the box for us, but we're starting to experiment a little bit more with stuff like that. And if you didn't catch the first episode, I highly advise you guys to listen to part one of this. But if you didn't, we are going to be having our 40th debriefing and our live show, which Jeremy participates in every single time. So if you guys want to join us, it's a lot of fun. We are going to be focusing on Agenda 21. And doing the Skull and Bones. Skull and in, Bones. Skull and Bones in, ha- in Gunwave in New Haven. And <laughs> we are going to be starting on Facebook Live at 7 p.m. Eastern. And that should be a lot of fun. Same stuff that's going on the last couple live shows. We're going to do some trivia, uh, recaps, uh, some interaction with our hushlings. And some stuff that's coming up we will be... Dropping some hints and probably unveiling some merchandise for the next year. Since our store is still unfortunately down, we apologize. We are tirelessly working on new disgusting t-shirts that you probably won't <laughs> buy. But should be fun. But yeah, that's all I got, man.
1: So I'm I'm off that day. I'll definitely be there. And hopefully this time I'll actually win something because every single live debriefing that you've had. You guys do the trivia of the stuff that you talked about throughout the season. And like, I go quick right out of the gate, man. I'm like, boom, boom, boom. (laughs) And you guys are all like, oh, there he goes. He's doing it again. And then by the end, someone else has taken it from me. (laughs) Every time I'm going to win something this time, telling you. Yeah, people come out of the woodwork, man, and they'll
4: just they'll just you'll be like, all right, I'm four deep. I'm about to win out of the 10 questions. And then someone will just lay it on you thick with five more answers. And like (laughs) fucking fucking Jeff did it to me last season.
2: I'm going to have to do it. (laughs) You should get from Jeremy. You should.
4: Yeah, we we already got some (laughs) questions going. They're good ones.
2: All right. Well, that's it.
1: And uh, we also are kind of taking a step out of our comfort zone for our Christmas episode. Jake, do you want to announce it, or should we just keep it a secret?
2: No, we'll announce it. We're talking about Krampus. Ooh, nice. Yeah, we're doing a deep dive on Krampus, and honestly, bringing out some stuff that most people may have never heard of before, um, because Jeremy goes real deep. I mean, (laughs) he's going to the bottom of the infinite rabbit hole on this one, (laughs) like scratching at the dirt at the bottom, looking for more clues. Like, he's he's going pretty deep like he he had me the other day doing a meeting with him so we can talk about biblical stuff like he's going really really Mm -hmm. deep so uh looking forward to that one looking forward to recording it and and giving it out to the uh travelers on the infinite rabbit hole
1: yeah so stay tuned uh i've definitely have listened to you probably five podcasts now uh on krampus and websites and stuff and i found we're stealing stuff from all that, of uh, them <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, i mean you know i'm gonna put out the the stuff that everyone needs to know to understand the story of krampus but then we're gonna go a little bit deeper like we do all the time here on the infinite rabbit hole and uh, we'll have ourselves a good time and then we'll see you right before the new year i believe with our next one but yep all right dave thank you again jeff Jeff, Jake, it's always <laughs> a pleasure, man. Uh, I'll see you soon. Yeah, and... for sure.
2: Dave, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you coming back to us and giving us your uh, your final points and stuff. It kind of sucked that you weren't able to, to join us in the last one, but this this will have to do. But next time, next time, you'll just have to be here for both parts.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- hopefully I can no get him on one that doesn't, that doesn't take three hours <laughs> to record. That's it. We'll see you in the next path of the infinite rabbit hole. Bye. Bye, you guys. I can leave you with a.
4: Do you guys know why Krampus is so upset? And no, what tell was us. on his
1: list? Why? Go ahead. Gas X. <laughs> 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 Bye. <laughs> <laughs>